Vaginas are absolute magic. And Ali is here to give them the respect they deserve. That means shame-free supplements made with clinically studied ingredients to keep your pH in check. And your pleasure a priority. Put yourself on top. Go to Ollie.com today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. Hello, hello. This is Jamie Glowacki, and I... I'm actually recording this particular podcast for both my podcasts. So I'm not going to say like, oh crap, potty training or oh crap, I have a toddler because people who listen to my parenting podcast, I did an episode similar to this way back like years ago and we need a refresher because parents are getting it confused. And for my parents who are potty training, this is key. It's key to childhood in general. It's being totally overlooked right now. But it's also key to potty training. So let's jump in because we're going to talk about big play, also known as heavy work. So in Montessori, they call it heavy work. I have always called it big play. And these have to do with our three other senses that many people are unaware of. I'm sure, though, if you spend an iota of time on Instagram, you have heard of these, these other three senses. So let's run through our senses, right? We have number one, tactile, which is touch. Number two is auditory, hearing. We have visual, our sight, and we have taste and smell. And we're familiar with these and we're familiar with our struggles with kids, right? Like smells and taste can contribute to picky eating. If your child is sensory seeking, and I can tell you right now that almost all kids, especially our four and five-year-olds right now, the kids who really were the pandemic toddlers and now they're a little bit older, these kids are suffering because they were under lockdown, right? And so they just didn't have the typical development. And I don't want to label anybody. I don't want to create any drama or trauma. I've been accused on social media of trying to sell fear about the pandemic, which is mind-boggling that people think it didn't affect our kids, but it did. So just to say that they're, they're behind in some of these developmental milestones, they're behind in some of these developments of these senses, and all it takes is an awareness to help build it up again. And so it's not like a huge lifelong detriment, but I'm sure you're hearing or seeing it in your own child, a sensory-seeking child. And these children look like Maybe sights and sounds are overwhelming, right? A lot of kids are struggling in groups, playing with other kids. It's overwhelming, but also what they're struggling with is like a forceful touch, right? Like they love too hard. If they're frustrated, they hit a little too hard. Everything's exaggerated because they're not quite aware of their three other senses in addition to these five. And those are proprioception, vestibular processing, and interoception. And so these are the things that contribute to how you know your body in time and space. And so very easily, if you think of a kid learning how to do a forward roll, or if you ever have seen somebody try to learn a cartwheel, maybe yourself, right? It's like, what? Or if you've ever seen or taken a gym class, or I'm trying to learn right now a dragon pistol squat. So that's like, you can Google it. It's really hard. And the very first time I went to do it, I was like, 
I don't even know where my legs go. I don't know how you do this. And so that's what our kids are going through. And they have to learn where their body is in time and space. And this is what contributes to knowing when you're holding a baby that you have a soft touch, right? So a lot of kids are struggling with younger siblings. Parents are reporting that the kids are loving them so hard that they're like squeezing and the kids almost then escalate into like a forceful kind of love. So that's what these things have to do with. Now, technically, the definition of proprioception is the unconscious perception of movement and spatial orientation arising from stimuli within the body itself. There is an impetus. It arises from stimuli within the body. And you can often see this. This is a self-regulating mechanism, but you can also see it in a child who becomes overwhelmed, right? We'll see sensory seeking behavior. Perhaps it's yelling, perhaps it's throwing their body around. Some kids would automatically start to spin, right? Spinning the very first altered consciousness. (laughs) And so these are like, help me orient, help me orient my body, help me orient my space. It's an internal stimuli that they are acting upon. Now, the vestibular sense contributes to our ability to maintain balance and posture. In addition to maintaining balance, the vestibular system collects information critical for controlling movement and the reflexes that various parts of the body compensate for changes in body position. So this is really, I've mentioned this in other podcasts. I don't know if you know this, but TAG has been outlawed in a lot of schools children no longer have the skill of like tagging a kid and then taking off in the other direction. So that really fast pivot, right? Like you do a tag, you don't do it too forcefully. You don't knock the other kid down and then you run away. Well, kids are not able to do that. Either they're falling on the pivot or they're pushing too hard. They don't have that control of their body. So it's really important that we look at these. Now, interoception, it's always been around. It's part of sensory processing development and process sensory processing disorder and like sensory integration theory. And it's getting a fair amount of play on the internet now. And that is your internal feelings. So your awareness of your internal feelings. And so that might be hunger and thirst, the impetus to go to the bathroom, pain. So if you have a child who maybe seems to not feel pain at all, maybe they're excessively hungry or thirsty. They almost seem to not have an off button. They could just eat themselves silly, drink themselves silly, or opposite, starve or go thirsty till they're super dehydrated. An earmark for less developed interoception is definitely not feeling pain, like bumping themselves and not even like registering an ow. But this is also responsible for like understanding your emotions, right? So we can see that all of these things, especially in the zero to six range, these are developing. They're not developed. They are developing and we need to attend to them because if we don't, the whole developmental milestone catalog, it crumbles like a a cheap card table. (laughs) So when we say the work of childhood is play, and I keep harping on this, but I, I just can't say it enough because the private clients I work with still are seeming to not understand it. Or I'll get comments on Instagram where I'm like, no, that's not, that's not exactly what we're talking about. The thing about it is that if we don't build these things, the work of childhood is this kind of play. And if it's not this kind of play, and what's happening is we are making our kids sit too much, they're not doing the work of childhood, which is building the muscles to allow them to sit and focus later on. So if they don't do this play as their toddlers, preschoolers, kindergartners, early elementary, they cannot sit and focus. So when I hear of a three or four-year-old and and the complaint from either school or the parent is, oh my God, they just won't sit still and focus. 
Yeah, because they're not supposed to. They're supposed to be doing these other things that work on the musculature that's going to support that. For example, the core, which isn't your six pack. The core really refers to your entire trunk, front and back, the torso. There's tons of muscles in there that need to be built and stabilized so that a child can sit properly in a chair. Their penmanship is good. This is directly related to penmanship. They can focus. Yes. And the proprioceptive system, when it's activated, actually makes you less anxious and more receptive to learning. So these things, proprioception, vestibular system, and interoception are so important because if you want your child to take in information, even if it's just taking in information because you're baking cookies, then later take in information for academics, it's really important that we activate these systems. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to play with your child. So for my potty training podcast, you may not be familiar with this, but I don't believe we're meant to be our children's playmates. I think they should be playing peer-to-peer largely, and I think they should be playing independently. And yes, of course, sometimes we'll play with our children, but to be our child's playmate all day, every day, that playing with an adult is not like playing with a child. And we saw the ramifications of that coming out of the pandemic. As adults, we pretty much don't smack things out of people's hands because we want them, right? Peer to peer, when you're two or three, that's kind of par for the course, right? Somebody's going to smack something out of your hand. So we just don't play the same. So while we definitely want to engage with our children and connect with our children, we don't always want to be their playmate. Now, one of the things about activating vestibular proprioception and interoception, one of the things that we want to do is we really want to give kids the opportunity because kids will do this on their own. We stop them. We stop them. We don't give them opportunity and we need to get out of their way because almost every child will do this on their own if we leave them alone. But we muck it up because we come in and number one, we think we know how to play better. Number two, we're be careful mongers, right? Be careful, be careful, be careful. Proprioception vestibular movement is risky. It takes risk taking play. It takes risk assessment, right? It's often flipping your body around, right? Trampolines are great for this, but you got an adult coming around. Oh, no, 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 no. We have to get out of their way and we have to give them these opportunities. This also plays into bedtime. Bedtime struggles are rampant right now. And I swear to goodness, I think it's because the kids aren't tired enough. By the way, I think this is true of adults too. When I was training for my Spartan race, I was I, I'm, I was sleeping the best ever. And I was like, oh, I think we all just need to get ourselves a little more tired, right? But we really want these kids physically exhausted. Now, I'm going to go into a whole bunch of stuff, but I want to be very clear. Organized sports is not big play. It may exhaust your child. Your child may be wiped out afterwards. It is not the same, especially soccer. Soccer is very big for children right now, very big for peewees. And it's running, yes, but big play has to do with arms. It has to do with whole body movement. It has to do with risk-taking. And more importantly, it should be child-led. So organized sport is adult-led, and very often it's not whole body. Even if it is something like gymnastics, which is great, unless it is like an open play gymnastics, again, it's adult-led and it's very structured. So it's not the freedom that the children need to develop these systems. What happens is we often focus too much on intellectual growth and mental growth, right? We're all obsessed with ABCs, numbers, uh, reading. We're all obsessed with the intellectual growth, particularly a little too obsessed in the preschool and kindergarten years. And we forget like how much we need to expend their physical energy. And this includes vocal energy. Yeah. So very often big play is accompanied by a lot of screaming because kids do have a vocal energy that needs to be expended. And so if you have a screamer on your hands, they need to scream. (laughs) So 
if you have a child who is experiencing impulse control problems, screaming, screaming, yelling, not ensure a vocal tone, like not appropriate vocal tone, is pushing or pulling others, is loving too hard, is just exerting too much force in general in whatever they do, whether it's tag, whether it's holding the baby, they just don't realize their own strength. And if they are climbing, if they are chewing, if they are anything that sort of seems mischievous is a sensory need, you guys. We have to stop looking at this as bad behavior. And unfortunately, in preschool and kindergarten, a lot of kids are being labeled already as having, you know, sensory processing disorder. They just have high sensory needs. But if we look at these as a need rather than a bad behavior, we can super adjust according to the child. Bear that in mind always. Like, Look at your child's behavior, translate it. That's huge in my second book, right? Translate the behavior and figure out the sensory needs. Again, we can really see how this played out post-pandemic. We knew about this. This is, this is in all the literature. We always knew this, but it really, it became so apparent because kids were under lockdown or extreme restrictions and they just lost this development. And again, I'm not labeling it. I don't think these kids... I've been saying this since like we kind of got back to real life is that these kids aren't diagnosable. It's not a diagnosis. It's that they have high sensory needs because they didn't develop these systems. Yeah. The pandemic kids didn't, but in general, our society is suffering right now. And there are a lot of things at play and these are not to blame anybody, but we have to recognize the problem before we can actually attend to it or recognize the problem. So we invest the work and the time and the energy to fix it, knowing that these problems are in place. So for sure, daycares, preschools, K through early elementary, way too focused on academics. It's nearly criminal at this point. Preschoolers should not be sitting as much as they do. They should not be doing as much academics. Kindergarten has become almost the new second grade. It's the pressure they're putting on these kids with early academics is a little insane, but it's happening. And if your kid is experiencing this, you probably can't do anything about it. So it's just, we have to know that they just sat all day in school. So now we need to help them with this big play and heavy work at home. Busy parents, busy, busy, busy. We're all busy. If you have two parents working outside the home or even one parent working outside the home and the other parent home, or you're a single parent like me, you are exhausted you may get home late and you may not feel like you have time. Shoot, it's winter time now. You may not have time to go outside. It's dark. You may not be able to go to the playground. So that gets in our way. We are just sitting too much. You know, screen time, iPads, television, though, you know, all those things. But also we do too much driving. We just do too much sitting in general. And these are really, the penmanship has taken, I forget the percentage, but it's taken a nosedive greater than 100% in kids. And everybody's blaming keyboarding and the computers, but it's really the, it's proprioception of vestibular. It's a weak core. It's the inability to sit with proper posture and write. This really does result in reactive kids who are really unable to self-regulate. And um, that's what I'm seeing in my work is a lot of kids who can't self-regulate. I do know that the potty training process is taking a lot longer for some kids. These kids tend to not be able to sit or are very resistant to sitting at dinner, sitting in a high chair. They don't seem to know body awareness, right? They Again, they don't have that external, where am I in time and space? Where are my body parts? What am I doing? They may appear ultra clumsy, but also, like I said, their trunk and their core development, which has to do with their pelvic floor development, which all leads up to my big ta-da moment, <laughs> which is has to do with successful potty training, right? So all of these things are connected. And 
it's one of the things that's happening just in our society and in the medical field is we're becoming more and more specialized to parts. You know, we're forgetting the whole body. We're forgetting the whole system and how this intricately plays into everything. By taking away recesses, by taking away so much big play, we're just, we're wrecking our kids. <laughs> we are. And the poor things don't even know what to do about it. So like I said, big play is often known as heavy work in the Montessori model. So let's go through some of the things you can do and some examples of big play, because again, a lot of people think that just running your child is big play. I do think children need to be run like puppies. I think they need X amount of I don't know, steps or something. I would never count a child's steps. <laughs> I would never count my steps, except when I'm climbing a mountain and I'm curious. But we definitely want to run them, but we also want to pay attention to all this whole body movement. And whole body movement, I think we're losing it as a culture. And those of you who have followed my Spartan adventures, I just realized like in trying to do reels about big play, I'm like, oh, all I do to work out is big play. That's what I do. I move my body a lot in all different directions and I prefer to be upside down. So number one thing is outside. If you can get outside as much as you can, I just read a horrific statistic that 60% of people in the US get less than three hours a month outside. That is craziness. Outside in nature and there's a hierarchy created. I think her name is Rachel Hopman. Could be wrong. I'll have to look that up. She created an actual like almost food pyramid for the benefits of getting outside. And the bottom rung is three hours a month. And that can be anywhere. That can be a city park. And they have shown studies where even in a hospital room, looking outside, looking at trees, the people with that view got better faster. So even if you have plants in your house, if you're in an apartment in New York City or wherever, and you can't get outside like super easily, just having a lot of plants, having green space in your house has the same benefits. So get outside as much as, as much as you can. The other thing about outside is the horizon. So our eyesight narrows and widens, and this has to do with the vagus nerve. This has to do with our limbic system is when we are watching television or any screen, our eyesight focuses in, it narrows. And when we get upset, of course, our eyesight narrows, right? And so when we're outside, you naturally scan the horizon. And so your eyesight widens. And so it's calming and it's really about self-regulating. We really want to be teaching and throwing all we can into the self-regulation corner because a lot of kids are struggling with it right now. So the other thing about being outside is nature really lends itself to heavy work. When you let kids be themselves and don't get in their way, you will see miracles in nature. Kids will try to move heavy logs. Kids will try to move heavy rocks. They will move the landscape. They will want to get wet in the stream. They will want to dig in the mud. They will be so curious. I remember we went on a hike with my gym and everybody brought their kids. And I swear to God, the kids worked hours on moving this like log that was so much bigger than them. And it was, it took the whole time when we got to like the campground area, they worked on moving this log. I want to say for like three hours, it was awesome. And so kids are naturally drawn to this. And I think what happens is for a lot of us, we go outside in nature, we go do a nature walk or a hike. And we, as adults, get obsessed with the end goal. So we're like, we're taking the red trail. We're going to do the red trail today. It's a quarter of a mile. It's a half a mile. It's a mile. We're going to finish the red trail. And the kid stops the minute there's a feature, be it a 
maybe there's a little wood structure, maybe there's a thing of rocks, maybe there's a little stream and the kids want to stop and play or they just see something interesting and we, the adults, get in their way and we say, no, 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 we got to keep going. We got to keep going. If you let them take that opportunity, you will see big play in action. So nature really lends itself. And if we could just stop being go, 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 hurry, 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 we got to get to the end and really appreciate those moments. Yes, you won't get your walk in. And certainly we do do things like walks, you know, to move our bodies in that particular way, but really focus on this. Anytime your child wants to dig in, don't be focused on the end result. Be focused on what the child is doing and exploring and watch the heavy work, watch the big play unfold. I want to go through scenarios because a lot of times what happens is I talk about big play, or if you listen to my interview with Chantal Zimmerman, who runs a forest school, we have a victimhood happening in the world that people are not able to extrapolate where that's great for you. You live in the woods. You have a big house. You have a backyard. I have to live in the city. I have to live in an apartment. It's okay. You can do these things. You can amend and you can, you know, I always encourage parents step out of victimhood. There's always a way to make it yours, no matter what kind of living situation you're in. So yeah, maybe it's not possible for you to get outside five hours a day, but you can definitely work it. If you do have a backyard, I would jack your backyard up and not with like the cute tower swing set structures are fun. They're awesome. Yeah. But kids do so much better with like super open-ended. I always say buckets, have five gallon buckets, have access to water. Watch your kids just move water. Watch your kids move mud. Yes, they're going to get dirty. Yes, they should have outside play clothes. They should have gear. Again, go to Chantel Zimmerman. She runs Sensory Garden and Play on Instagram and watch. The kids are always outfitted in like rain gear or mud gear. You can get these at consignment shops. It's really awesome. But you could jack up your backyard with like buckets to carry, big rocks, get some logs, You could always get a tire, get a tire to flip. Kids love flipping tires. Swings are always great. And swings are totally proprioception and vestibular. But things that go round are better. You know, a little trampoline might be awesome. A slack line. These things are awesome. You could also leave magnifying glasses out there. Oh, a sink. Have a sink. So if you can have some sort of water table, hose access. Remember, water is sensory too. So if your child, even if you're inside an apartment and you just know your child is sensory seeking, fill the kitchen sink with bubbles and water and let them wash dishes. Maybe throw them in the tub. Water is very sensory fulfilling. You want to regularly seek out interesting play situations. And so one of the things that happens is you want to reevaluate your local playground. And um, this is actually in my toddler book. We have like a baby playground and it's generally occupied by kids. They, you know, like four and under, but everything is super safe and it's low to the ground. And every single time I've been there, I have seen toddler fight club going down. I swear it's because it's not a fun playground. There's nothing to climb. Everything's low to the ground. It's so safe that these kids are like, yeah, whatever. I'll just beat the other kid up for the fire truck. So It took me a while to realize this too, is that like I needed, I always knew proprioception and and big play was important. I always knew use your arms. I think just because I was like a circus performer, I've always been athletic. It's like, yeah, use your whole body. Like don't use just one part. So we left that baby playground and found another playground that had those like big cargo nets. You know, the, the playgrounds that are made of all like rope, if you can, and you may have to travel a little farther, like Figure out because your local playground actually may be a little too safe and it's not fulfilling the sensory needs. I just want to wear a t-shirt every day to a playground and say, 
go up the slide. Let them all go up the slide. <laughs> Some things to do if you do live in an apartment and you are stuck inside or, you know, coming up, I'm sure we'll get a blizzard soon in New England. The ground is lava. The ground is lava is easy to do. It's easy to do at anyone's house. It's easy to do any time. And you just make the ground lava and you can put couch cushions on the floor and everybody has to hop. Everybody has to jump. Also, that's a fun TV show too. But you can make it so that people can flip super, super easy. Another thing to do inside a tight space is just drag your kid around on a blanket because when they sit on the blanket and you drag them around, they're off kilter, right? And they have to grab on rough housing. Always rough housing. If you are in a tight space, you're tight on time. You both just got home from work. The kids are all strung out for being in aftercare. You got to get dinner on the table. When am I supposed to get this big play in, Jamie? Wrestle. Just wrestle. And on those nights where everything seems to be just so clusterfucky and you just, you like don't seem to have any time. Honestly, those are the nights I say, make a sandwich for your kid. Those are the nights you do like the super easy dinner and you focus on the connection and the big play. You're going to get a better bedtime and you're going to get a better connection with your kid. Doorway gyms. These are awesome. So they hook up to pull up bars. You can find them online. They're little, um, rings or a trapeze bar and they allow your kid to swing from the doorway. They have all kinds of anything that swings. If you have the type of house where you can put a swing in the ceiling or a doorway something, these are amazing. So the kids can flip. The more they're flipping upside down, the better it is for their brain, for the proprioceptive system to be activated. If you can, I have them local to me and I know certain places they seem to be really popular and other people have never heard of them. A ninja or a parkour class can be great. These just tend to have like free time as well as structured time. Even though they're usually adult led, a lot of them have open gyms, especially for the little guys, trampoline parks, these kinds of things. The kids love them because again, these systems are activated and they feel good. They feel calm. They feel less anxious and they're just, they're gaining skills. They're gaining strength and skills. And particularly, like I said, with potty training, you also just want to look at your outside toys. You want to level up your outside toys. So balance bikes are awesome. The little guys love balance bikes, slack lines. You know, if you have a couple of trees, a couple of sturdy things, you can put a slack line up. You can crab walk, wheelbarrow, leapfrog. These old school games are so much fun and you can have races, Gosh, I remember Pascal, I think it was his sixth birthday because he was in kindergarten and I just did old school. I did an old school party and we did crab walk races and we did a, you know, you carry an egg on a spoon across the floor. It was super fun. And so we did the limbo, we did forward roll racing and leapfrog. And so many kids don't even know how to play leapfrog today. And there's so many things. So kids love it and they will build tons of core strength. And then you have some like classic, classic things that kids will do quite naturally. And you don't have to quantify this as work, but this is what they do. Like rolling down grassy hills, the impetus to pull and push things. So in your house, that might look like a laundry basket. Outside, it might look like a bucket of rocks. Whenever you see, I see pictures of kids all the time, like trying to lift something bigger than them and they're struggling and they're doing it and they do it. And it's amazing. So Again, a lot of times it's just actually getting out of your kid's way. Most kids do have the internal stimuli to do this. So if you just give them the opportunity, they'll be fine. We have sit and spins, hippity hop balls, those old hippity hop balls. And if you can find an old school merry-go-round, that's going to be key. And again, these things are in particular 
not only activate these systems, but they build a really strong core. They build really strong muscles that will then help your child potty train faster or more effortlessly, right? It will help your child sit and focus. It will help them ride a bike. It will help them tie their shoes. All these big things contribute to the gross motor skills, which then contribute to the fine motor skills. And we're jumping the gun. We know fine motor skills are important. And so we're like rushing to the fine motor skills and skipping all this stuff in between. So think of anything you can do that activates those symptoms, anything that uses whole body, arms, legs, upside down, If you have an open floor concept, you know, ride-on toys in the house are great. They're awesome. If you don't have a big house, if you have a small house, if you have an apartment, I have seen amazing things. And all you kind of do is have to pull up some hashtags on Instagram. I've seen upside down ladders on the wall down the hallway. So kids can do like monkey bars going down their own hall. I've seen people do rock climbing gyms on just, you know, put up a faux wall, almost like a, a faux wall for the kids and then do the rock climbing grips. I've seen rumpus rooms. My dream house, oh oh my God, ever since I was like 18, my dream house would have a true rumpus room, like lined with gym mats, maybe a rope hanging from the floor. If you have the room and the space, and if not, you can always create a little corner in your house or in your child's bedroom, but like a true rumpus room where everybody can get, can be flung around and not get hurt and bump their heads on things. Pillow fights, you know, these kinds of things are awesome for big play. You know, if you know my work at all, I'm not a fan of calm corners, but I am a fan of throwing corners. So if you have a corner where you can just expel energy when somebody's getting irritated, hey, let's just go like, you know, throw things and get it out. This is what actually helps kids learn, right? When we have these things, when your child's being niggly, when your child is displaying what might look like bad behavior, like, oh my God, can't you get off the counters? Oh my God, stop pushing your brother. Oh my God, stop hitting. We hear this all the time and I'm on a tear about this. Like telling somebody to stop doing it is not teaching, right? We want them to feel what's going on in their body. We want them to recognize the need. But if they can't recognize the need, our job as parents is to recognize the need for them, just like we do with potty training, right? They don't at first like get it. We have to say, oh, you see, you're holding your crotch. Oh, here comes a little pee. Why don't you sit down? We notice the sign first. So it's our job as parents to figure out the feeling and the need under the behavior. And then we can translate it to them, right? And so imagine instead of like, oh my God, stop hitting your brother. You're going to go to your room for the last time. I've been telling you 900 times. That's all you do. You're you're such a bad kid. We start saying these catastrophic things, right? And imagine it says like, whoa, dude, you see how you're behaving? Come on, go to the throwing corner. Let's go. You need to go outside. You need some big play. Go, go lift your logs. Imagine if we had these tools that weren't punishment. They weren't anything. They were a tool. And we said, Hey, I see this is happening. Go. And then you know what happens? The kid starts to learn. Hey, this is happening. I'm going to go. I'm going to go flip some logs. And this works. I, one of my strategies with kids who start to escalate is to roll them up in a blanket, like a burrito, roll them up, roll them up and give them deep compression, right? Deep compression activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So we want to give them this long, big body hug. And then they come out and they're like, they're reset. And every client I've worked with, the kids picks up on it. And after a while, they'll be like, whoa, 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 I'm going. I need a burrito. They can feel themselves starting to escalate. That is what we're trying to teach. 
That is teaching self-regulation. There is so much BS online right now about, oh, self-regulate. You have to co-regulate to self-regulate, which you do. You can't help your child self-regulate if you're not regulated. But nobody's talking about like, let's get under the feeling. Let's get under it and give these kids tools so that instead of yelling at them, instead of constantly correcting them, instead of constantly saying stop or don't or leave it alone or no, you know, you feel like a hag by the end of the day. Like, geez, all I said was no today. Instead, you could say, hey, let's look at our tools. Look what's going on. You're getting heated. You're getting pushy. You're getting, you know, name it, name the behavior and then give them the tool. And pretty soon they'll be able to do it on their own. And again, I know this is such a big topic, but it it really does tie in. It's also like if your kid is struggling with pooping, big play often gets it. There's a reason kids have poop accidents on the playground all the time because big play gets the pelvic floor loosens, get the anus, all the sphincter muscles loosened. And so like if your kid's struggling with pooping, you definitely want to do big play. If your kid is struggling with anything, you want to do big play. So the reason I'm releasing this to both of my podcasts is because it's that important. And it's that important to all these milestones, potty training, sitting up, using an open cup that requires sitting up properly, riding a bike, tying shoes, holding a pencil, all these things, as well as just being a chill, relaxed kid. We've got pediatric anxieties on the rise. Pediatric mental illness is like tripling. It's mind-boggling. So we want to give these kids tools, all the tools we can, and we just constantly want to go back to this. This is the work of childhood. This is what they need to be doing. All right, guys, anything else I say is going to be beating a dead horse at this point. I am so passionate about this. Please, if you're not part of my Instagram, I'm doing a series. I just did a reel about my sled work and how you can apply that to kids. And I'm just going to be constantly hounding. This is such a big concept. And if for some reason it's getting mucked up and parents aren't aren't getting it quite right. So if you have any questions, hit me up on Instagram and we'll figure it out. Other than that, I appreciate you. As always, rock on, you guys. 